All right, you guys, if you turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. The final two sections of Matthew 5 will be closing out this week and next week. And many would consider uh, these sections that we're going to be going through uh, at the end of this chapter um, to be the high point of the Sermon on the Mount. It's not that the other parts don't have value, but this really is the pinnacle of application. And so, as you probably are already prepared for, when we're going to be applying the Sermon on the Mount to our lives, when we get to this point, we realize that these are going to be very challenging things. And if Jesus is serious about what he's saying, we need to understand the context, we need to understand the time that he's speaking it to, and we need to understand how to apply it to our own lives. And so, containing quite possibly the most distinct ways... For Christians to be counterculture, these next two studies prove to be challenging. They prove to be challenging for us because I don't just want us to read Scripture, to hear me talk, and to walk away and be unchanged, to have our lives be unaltered. And so, it's quite possible that these next two studies will be the greatest challenge to our daily lives that we've had to address in the Sermon on the Mount thus far. And I hope that doesn't discourage you. It should encourage you that Jesus saw these things valuable to teach to his disciples so that they would be counterculture, so that they wouldn't look like the world that's around them. Instead, that they would be salt and light as he he has called us to be. And so Jesus challenges his followers in this morning's text to live generously. And in next week's text, he's going to challenge us to love generously. And we'll see how these things naturally flow hand in hand. The following verses that we're going to address this morning, beginning in verse 38, have been wrestled with and misunderstood from scholars all the way to Leo Tolstoy and Gandhi, who have read the Sermon on the Mount and taken the things that they saw there and taken them in a direction that I believe to be theologically unsound. And so we need to understand the context of Scripture. We need to understand what Jesus is speaking to in order to take these things and apply them rightly to our lives because we've seen so many in the past take things and apply them to their lives literally, such as Origen in the 4th century, who took gouge your eye out, cut your hand off, quite literally, and started maiming himself. And so clearly we understand that Jesus is using hyperbole in certain situations and is speaking for us to apply these things in a spiritual sense, but there's also a literal sense to it. And so it can be tricky business. But I hope that this morning we clearly understand what Jesus is talking to by drawing together the body of Scripture, understanding Scripture in its context together, and understand not only what Jesus is teaching us on how we can have his heart for people around us, but how that heart for people around us begins to give us motion as people and as a church. Obviously, Jesus wants these truths to be heart deep because when you win the heart, you get the mind. And when that happens, we move. Our bodies follow suit. And so, desiring to be conformed to his image, we're going to be living and loving generously. If we want to be conformed to the image of Christ, we need to live and love generously. How do we do it? Jesus teaches us how. Let's look at Matthew 5, verse 38. We'll read down through verse 42. Jesus continues the Sermon on the Mount and says this, You've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, don't resist an evildoer. On the contrary, if anyone slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. As for the one who wants to sue you and take away your shirt, let him have your coat as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to the one who asks you and don't turn away from the one 
who wants to borrow from you. This is the word of the Lord. Jesus begins by quoting from an Old Testament law, an Old Testament truth that we find in three different places in the Old Testament by saying, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. It's a very well-known law, even by secular scholars, even by secular readers. We hear it in our world today in different contexts, but we see it in three different locations in the books of the law of the Israelites, in Exodus 21-24, Leviticus 24-20, and Deuteronomy 19-21. When looking at the Exodus example in chapter 20, we have something very important to understand before going into chapter 21 where the law states an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. What happens in Exodus 20 is we're given the Ten Commandments, which we would call the moral law. And so that is set out before us ahead of time. And then in Exodus 21 through 23, we have a series of ordinances which show how the moral laws are applied to everyday life. How do I take this moral truth that I get in heart deep and live it out in literal time, in real time with the people around me? Then we find in those passages also a variety of case laws. And there's an emphasis on damage to a person and property. And it's within the legislative process of Exodus 21 that verses 23 through 25 reads this way. It should be on the screen for you. If there is an injury, then you must, you must give life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, bruise for bruise, wound for wound. It's pretty clear to understand, I would think. In other words, when it comes down to an eye for an eye or tooth for a tooth, what has been wronged you in the judiciary process is to be returned. Now, why point that out? Why point that out that that's given to us in the legislative or judiciary process? Because the context is so important for the judges of Israel to understand. It's important for them to understand to rightly judge between cases when people have something wrong or done, wrongly done to them or taken from them that it be given back. And the reason that that's important is we see this in Deuteronomy chapter 19. As you realize, the book of Deuteronomy literally means second law. It was the reading of the law in the, in the ears of the next generation of Israelites as they were ready to cross the Jordan and enter the promised land. And so you have the law that was given prior and then Moses read the law to the people a second time as this new generation following the 40 years of wandering in the wilderness is about to enter into the promise of God. And in Deuteronomy 19, as these things are being reiterated, we see a principle of exact retribution. He makes it very clear with the way that he says it. The purpose of this was to lay the foundation of justice to specify the punishment which a wrongdoer deserved and limit the compensation of the victim to an exact equivalent. Now, you do some things automatically by pushing this forward and by understanding this as a judiciary system. It means that people are being taken care of in the exact retribution sense where they're being replaced whatever they have lost. But it also prevents escalation. It prevents escalation. I think that's something that's really important. When you look at civil suits and if we see someone wronged, what's the tendency You know, I burned my mouth on a cup of coffee. You guys remember that? The McDonald's coffee case all those years ago when the Sue Happy Generation sparked? I burned my mouth on a cup of coffee. I need $20 million. $20 million? My mom would have told me to walk it off. I mean, like, but we have these things where I've been damned or damned, damaged. Hey, it's in the Bible. Uh, I'm sorry. Damaged. (laughs) Whoops. 
You know, if it hasn't happened to you in front of people, it will. It's in the Bible. I told my kids, I was like, we don't read the King James very often because you guys can't get through it without reading words that you just misunderstand. So here's the thing. Here's the thing. (laughs) Now I have to get back on target. You guys, we have this thing where now I've been emotionally damaged. I've been damaged. I've been emotionally damaged. I've been mentally damaged. So what's going to make me feel better? Money. More coffee. A lot of free coffee, right? Everyone's like, what are you going to do? Well, the first thing I'm going to do is go out and get myself a cup of coffee because I can afford it now. Almost. I mean, you get 20 million, I'll get you a couple of Starbucks. But here's the thing. You're staving off escalation in the judiciary system by making sure that things are kept fair in this way. Okay? Now, when you read that and you see Jesus refer to this, it's important to understand that the context of these laws was in the legislative process. They would know that. D.A. Carson said it really well. The law was not designed to be discharged by individuals swept up in personal vendettas, but by the judiciary. Did you catch that? This isn't something that we take now into our personal lives and be like, whack, all right, you hit me now for exact retribution, the right amount of pressure. You know, kid, how, do we treat, how do our kids treat each other? But it's never the same. Did you notice the left was not the same as the right? You know, you're like, okay, that's where they need to figure out how much pressure and figure out how, how hard they need to hit each other back because you hit him, you need to hit him back. By the way, I was taught that. I was taught that as a kid. (laughs) And I was damaged by it. No, you think about this. I'm sorry. You guys think about this. We were taught that as kids. The kid comes in, hits you. What do you do? Well, you hit him back. Right? You guys understand what I'm saying? What What are we teaching people? No, I'm not saying go to school and get bullied. You go get your teacher. You get people involved. You're not a punching bag. That's not what Jesus is talking about here. He's like, turn the other cheek. Send your kids to school and get beat up. That's not what he's talking about. What he's talking about is seeking revenge and vengeance on our own because it misrepresents Jesus. Because vengeance is mine, says the Lord. That doesn't mean we don't involve the process to protect people. It means that I should not have a heart of retribution or vengeance against other people in my personal life. He's talking about our personal lives. So Jesus is bringing this up here because the scribes and Pharisees evidently had extended this principle of just retribution from the law courts where it belongs to the realm of personal relationships where it doesn't belong. They extended this into the personal life. Now, they were trying to use the law to justify personal revenge, even though the law itself forbids it. You can go, well, Mike, you just read from Leviticus. Maybe they were confused. Leviticus 19.18 says this, Do not take revenge or bear a grudge against members of your community, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. You know when Jesus said, I have come to fulfill the law? That's what he's talking about. When he taught his disciples in the upper room, in John chapters 13 through 17, he's teaching them all of these things in the upper room discourse. He says, I give to you something new. Love one another. Love each other. And he shows them a fuller way of that. But they had learned it in Leviticus. It was in the law as well. Isn't it crazy how often we get confused? You're like, but doesn't it say in the Bible? 
Well, yes, it does. But do you understand the context around it? Do you understand what's around that passage so that you can understand how it's being applied? I tell you this, you should definitely, especially after this morning, not take one line of my sermon and base everything off of it. People are like, Mike has a foul, foul mouth. But here's the thing. You guys, we, we should never do that. You wouldn't flip to the middle of your favorite novel, read one sentence and tell me what the chapter was about, let alone the book. You would never do that. Why do we do that with scripture? You wonder why people get so confused. You guys read the Bible in context. It makes so much sense. It sets the framework to understand of what Jesus is about to say. When he gives us these four scenarios, I don't know if you noticed it, in between verses 39 and 42, we have four scenarios. He's going to give us four scenarios how this applies to our lives, and we have to understand what he's getting at before we get there. Just as it was with Origen taking Jesus' words, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. He's like, well, <laughs> although he cut other things off. You guys, he took it to the literal violent extreme. That's not okay. That's not biblical. We get caught up in reading what Jesus has to say and think that we're to never stand against evil in the world. Mike, right here in your study, he says, don't resist an evildoer. Is that what Jesus is getting at? Is he telling you that if someone breaks into your house and starts beating on your family, that you just stand there and watch it happen? I hope we would all agree, no way. So what does he mean when he says, don't resist an evildoer? Context. Understanding the context of scripture. He calls us in our personal lives to clearly love one another. All the while embracing law and justice for evildoers because we take the other passages of the New Testament that says submit yourself to governing authorities. They don't wield the sword for no reason. In other words, do good so that their retribution against evil is not coming against you. Rather than all-inclusive pacifism, Jesus calls us in our personal lives to clearly understand the fullness of love your neighbor. And he does this in this text by giving us four scenarios to consider. Let's look at the first one, verse 39. Jesus says, but I tell you, don't resist an evildoer. On the contrary, if anyone slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. Some have said that because of this verse, that Christians should not ever defend and not only that, ever be part of law enforcement. It's been said. They should never be a part of law enforcement. By the way, let me just put this out there where, where my opinion lies. If you feel led to that, I would love to have more Christian policemen and policewomen. I would love to have more Christian law enforcement. Bring it. That's great. That's great. You have my full support. While most will not argue wisely with Romans 13, verses 1 through 7, which calls believers to obey governing authorities to do what's lawful and good so as to avoid the penalty of disobedience and to pay our taxes. We're past tax season, so this is a fun thing to talk about. You're all getting stimmy right now. No one cares. Everyone's like, dude, I don't care about my taxes. You should. They will still argue that because Jesus said don't resist an evildoer and to turn the other cheek when slapped the context being by the way a backhanded slap if you look at the actual term in greek that he's using here that's a backhand which means it's both insulting and injurious okay that's important to note that we should never use people will look at this and say well then we should never use any kind of physical resistance to evil in this world and it's here that i believe tolstoy and gandhi got things very wrong 
It's admirable, to, it's admirable to think that we can be people who don't resist anything and be in a world that's full of peace. It's what we desire, isn't it? It's what we want in this world. We want sin to be removed. We want wickedness to be removed. By the way, Jesus calls them an evildoer. He says, that's a bad person. That's an evil person. He recognizes right from wrong. He's not saying it doesn't matter. But what's interesting is that we long for a kingdom that's not here. We long for a king that's not ruling right now. And that thing inside of you that's like, but I want there to be peace. I want there to be justice. I want all of these things to come together. Can't we just have grace and righteousness at the same time? Can't we just have holiness and mercy at the same time? Yes. And what you long for is the kingdom of God. That is built into you to long for because what you are looking for cannot be found without Christ. Without the kingship and the lordship of Jesus Christ here on this earth, and even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Amen? Come quickly. That's what we want. But until then, we have to wrestle with things like how do we justly and mercifully navigate our lives? These aren't easy subjects. Understanding the context to not only uphold justice, which is scriptural, but also not to seek vengeance for oneself is essential to grasping us, to grasping what Jesus has for us in this text. I have to love his justice and his grace. I'm not pretending that it's easy either. And what we're attempting to find in this balance is the character and nature of God. You realize that's why it's so difficult for us. You're like, It's like it's inside me, but I just can't put all these pieces together. That's called being in human flesh. You're longing to have the character and the nature of your father. You're longing to have the character and nature of Christ. And he wants to conform us into that image. We should be growing to that point. But there's going to be angst. There's going to be some struggle with it. He is the only one who has struck the perfect balance of righteousness and mercy, of holiness and grace. I don't believe that it dishonors God to protect my family, should someone assault them. I think it'd be dishonoring of God to not. I think it's dishonoring to God if you are somewhere and you see someone being taken advantage of and you don't step in. That's dishonoring to the Lord to not stop it or do something about it. I think it fulfills many passages of Scripture in the Old Testament where the leaders of Israel were told to defend the people, to provide for their needs, to protect them against the enemy. And if you just want my opinion, I think that it was the right thing to do when we stepped in and stopped Hitler from slaughtering Jews. It would have been wrong to step aside and not step in and stop him from genocidically wiping out God's people. That would have been wrong. However, when it comes to our personal lives, we like to take these types of situations and we start bringing them to our personal lives and like, I deserve vengeance for what you have done to me. Right? You've harmed me. You've hurt me. So I'm going to hurt you back. I'm going to get back at you. That's what Jesus is dealing with here. Even to the point of being slapped. There's a balance to be struck with defending ourselves and being Christ-like. Because in the same breath, I believe that we should not resist an evildoer. When they insult or even offensively mistreat us. Because in the position, in that position, we're partaking in the suffering of Christ. When we're being harassed, and, Paul, and Peter deals with this extensively in the letter of First Peter. He says, if you suffer because, you know, you've done something wrong, there's nothing 
unexpected about that. He goes, but when you suffer because you are serving Christ, because you're honoring Jesus, he says, you're sharing in his suffering. God will bless that. God will bless that. I believe Paul said it wonderfully in Romans 12, 17, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Give careful thought to do what is honorable in everyone's eyes. Don't repay evil for evil. If someone wrongs you, let it go. Let it go. Don't let bitterness take root. I had a a young person recently convict me as I talked about a situation I was going through and convicted me and said, you know, are you sure you're not bitter? I was like, yeah. Yeah, I'm not bitter. I was like, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to give that impression. I went home. Guess what I found out? I was bitter. (laughs) And I had to deal with it. I had to deal with it. That's right. There's wisdom in the young people. I was convicted by someone half my age. And you know what? They were 100% right. I'm thankful for the boldness of someone who looked at me and said, are you sure you're not bitter about this? Are you sure that? And very, very healthily done, by the way. Just rebuked so well. It's very often, not very often that I've heard any pastor like say, like, I got rebuked so good by a young person the other day. Boy, it was so good for me. It was. I needed it. You need it. We all need it. We need to be able to receive that correction. If it's truth, it's truth. Receive it. Doesn't matter if it comes from an older person or a babe or a kid. Okay, so scenario number two. Well, that was subtle. Not many of you got that one. Verse 40. As for the one who wants to sue you and take away your shirt, let him have your coat as well. The nature of the second scenario is a bit different. It's not necessarily a vengeance issue. This one is seeking reconciliation. Because if someone is suing you for something wrong, here's what Jesus is saying. If they ask for this, give them a little extra. Oh, but that, mm, 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 that hits us wrong, doesn't it? You're like, no, but they don't deserve it. If they sue you, and it's possible being motivated by love for us to reconcile that relationship by not only giving something to them, but giving them even more to heal the friendship of the broken relationship. Do we value relationship over property? Do we value other people over possession? That's the point that's being pushed at here. Do I actually value the things that God values more than stuff, more than possession. Because if I do, that means that the relationship matters more. It means that the heart and the reconciliation takes precedent. Jewish law permitted an opponent to sue for possession of an offender's inner garment. You could do that. According to Jewish law, you could sue somebody and really, you know, like we you know, sue, sue the pants off them. It's like suing the shirt off of them, right? You could just sue them all the way down to their shirt. Well, Jesus says this, give them the coat. According to Jewish law, the coat was exempt from seizure of the courts. The coat was exempt. You couldn't take that because taking the coat was too severe. That's their coat. They need it for warmth. So even if it came down to this extent, they're like, okay, that's too much. The courts wouldn't allow it. Jesus says, go one step further. Give them the coat. I don't know about you, but in my personal justice mindset, that's really difficult for me. That's a hard thing for me. Like, you got enough. Why would I give you the coat too? 
because I value the relationship with that person and I want it to be reconciled and I'm willing to do what it takes to be a peacemaker in that way. Jesus commands his disciples to do even more than the courts allowed when seeking reconciliation with an opponent. I had a situation this last week. You guys know me. Most of you know me really well. You know that these things pop up right when I'm about to teach from something. And you know that it's never conducive to Mike being the hero. Mike is always the offender in these situations to make me very humble for the text I'm about to teach. And so I'm in Costco on a Friday. First mistake. (laughs) Second mistake. I had the nerve to get a cart at Costco. Third mistake. I had the nerve to get a cart ahead of someone who was in a hurry and decided that they were going to go around me and cut me off to get past the guy who was checking your card at the door, who was carting people at the door. That's the only way Christians should be getting carted at the door, by the way. I'm just kidding. Like, <laughs> the only place I get carted anymore is Costco. Here's the thing. There's a, I've never heard that before. Divine inspiration. So, This guy cuts me off. And what was my attitude? Did I yield the lane and give him the goods ahead of me also? No. I looked at my wife. I was like, boy, he's lucky I'm saved. Over him cutting me off at Costco. Maybe his car was on fire. Maybe something was going really wrong. I mean, I don't know what his day was like, but I was so irked by it. I talked about it from the front of the store all the way to the bakery. And then we picked up cake and life was good. But I was so upset about this. And the Lord's like, remember what you were working on this week? (laughs) You're not even willing to let someone go ahead of you who maybe they're not being as nice as they should. He was not. But even so, let it go. Let it go. I need to just let it go. I'm sorry. Scenario number three. Go the extra mile. Boy, this is right in the same idea, isn't it? Look at verse 41. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them too. Now, there's nothing that we've read in in history that makes us believe that the one-mile mark was an actual distinction. But what we do know is at this time under Roman rule, an ordinary Roman soldier could take his luggage or his baggage, whatever he had with him, and he could compel a citizen to carry it for him for like a prescribed distance. So he could just walk up to me who's standing there raking my dirt, and he could come over and be like, hey, I need you to carry my bags over to yonder. You know, which up here means a certain... What is yonder? It's said all the time. It's just over there. It's not like an actual term of measurement. So, you know, over there. And so you have to carry it with them. And Jesus says, if somebody compels you to take this to a certain distance, go double the distance. You know what? I'm feeling good. I'm going to go ahead and... What does this call us into account for? Be willing to sacrifice your time. Are you willing to sacrifice your time? Boy, we are so busy. We are so busy. You know, I never want someone to feel like they're an inconvenience for me on a study day, which I set study days aside 
And I try to keep those as clear as possible as much as I can. But when somebody's in need and needs something, I don't want them to hesitate to come talk to me because it's my study day. But what's funny about that is, is we get, and, and I struggle with this too, we get so possessive of our time and we should have priorities. There's a balance here. But so many times if you inconvenience me, that's worse than stealing from me. Don't inconvenience me. Don't take my time. I'm so busy. You have no idea how important Mike is. Right? And Jesus says, stop acting like you are being mistreated. Go the extra mile. Be loving with your time for people. Give of your time to others. Rather than feeling inconvenienced, Jesus calls his disciples to cheerfully exceed what is asked of them. We cannot get caught up so much in our own tasks that we forget to not only serve unexpectedly, but to go beyond what was asked of us. And again, Jesus is the greatest example of going beyond what was ever asked of anybody else. Final example as we wrap this up. Scenario number four. Give generously. Give to the one who asks you and don't turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. I'll say this as a precursor. That does not mean to be taken advantage of in the sense where if you know that you're giving to someone who's just asking to spend it on something and they're just going and doing it over and over again, if you're giving to someone who's, who's got an addiction and you're like, well, Jesus says to give to one who asks of me and they keep asking, I'm just going to keep giving to him, but you know it's not going to something that's godly or encouraging their relationship with the Lord. That's not what he's talking about. What he's talking about is are you willing to sacrifice on your own part even for people that you may not be on good terms with. Jesus is building off of his final scenario in next week's study when he calls us to love our enemies. It's not a coincidence that he's going to go into loving your enemies when here he's talking about giving to the one who asks and don't turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you because naturally we want to help people that we care about, that we love, but so often we look at somebody and be like, well, mm, you bother me, so no. I'm not going to do it. This entire paragraph is devoted to Jesus' teaching against retaliation. And this verse prohibits Christ's disciples from seeking vengeance against opponents by refusing to help them in time of need. Just because you don't like somebody, just because you have a problem with somebody, doesn't mean that you still shouldn't be helping them. Now be wise about it. But if they're in need, serve them. Jesus is going to dovetail that into loving your enemies. Paul speaks to this in Romans chapter 12, verses 19 through 21, where he says, Friends, do not avenge yourselves. Instead, leave room for God's wrath, because it is written, Vengeance belongs to me, I will repay. We talked about that earlier. But if your enemy is hungry, who? It's okay, you can say it. Who? Your enemy. Feed him. If he is thirsty, who's he? It's cool. It's an enemy. Give him something to drink. For in so doing, you will be heaping fiery coals on his head. Don't get excited about that. (laughs) Let me explain that. Shame them through kindness to repentance. Shame them through kindness to repentance. You're not like, yeah, (laughs) killing them with kindness. That's not the right idea. Shame them through your kindness to repentance and restoration. And you're not focusing on the shame part. You're focusing on being kind to them so that, as Paul refers to in Romans 2, 
In the same way with, as it is with the Lord, his kindness leads us to repentance. Same idea. He says, do not be conquered by evil, but conquer evil with good. When someone is your enemy, it's very easy to not want to talk to them, to not want to help them, to not want to deal with them, and we justify it because they are our enemy. Jesus says, no, it doesn't work that way. You need to be a blessing to them. Jesus was not prohibiting, in these scenarios and in this text, the administration of justice, but rather he's forbidding us to take the law into our own hands. An eye for an eye is a principle of justice belonging to courts of law. In personal life, we have to be rid not only of all retaliation in word and deed, but of animosity in our spirit. We need to be free of the bitterness and the animosity that gets congealed in our hearts. We can and must commit our cause to the good and righteous judge as Jesus himself did. It's not for us to seek or to desire any personal revenge. We have to refuse to repay injury with injury. Rather suffer it and overcome evil with good. I don't know if you guys are are feeling this like I am right now. Never have the words of Christ rung so loudly in my ears, deny yourself. There's a reason when he said, if any man or woman would come after me, any person would come after me, let him deny himself. You have to start with denial of self. Because if we don't deny ourselves, this is impossible. If we are serving self, if we are self-focused, this doesn't happen. Church, are we more entitled than we ought to be? Oftentimes, I confess I am. I want the Lord to change that. We have to come to texts like this and humbly let it sink in and change us. I lean towards justice, and most often I lean towards justice for me. Right? I tend to be quick to forgive and forget the things that I've done wrong, but hold on to and become bitter over the things that have been wrongly done. I want God to get the bad guys and vindicate me because I'm the good guy. I'm the hero. You should all be laughing harder than you are right now. Like, like, Mike, you are no hero. I am no hero. You know, and, and this is something that we need to recognize. God is just. And I think that inside of our longing for justice, there's something good there, but what we misunderstand sometimes is that our longing for the justice of God can reveal often that we don't trust his timing for that justice. I don't know what that is. <laughs> I love this church. <laughs> I'm literally on the last section, I promise. It's right here. Two more minutes? Okay. You guys, <laughs> well, someone's flesh just got revealed. No, but here, here's the thing. Uh, <laughs> and that was the next line it's like it's here that our flesh gets revealed it's right there you guys my desire for vengeance so often supersedes my desire for god's glory never let your desire for vengeance and justice to supersede your desire for god's glory and jesus is making clear here how he is glorified how did jesus receive glory isaiah chapter 50 verses 6 through 7 
I gave my back to those who beat me and my cheeks to those who tore out my beard. I did not hide my face from scorn and spitting. The Lord God will help me. Therefore, I have not been humiliated. Therefore, I have set my face like flint, and I know I will not be put to shame. Powerful words from Jesus. I don't believe that we're subscribing to unpractical idealism by seeking to live a life that looks like Jesus. Our Savior's called us to be what Bonhoeffer termed a visible participation of the cross. Let our lives be a visible participation of the cross. That's what they're aimed to be. What that means is we have to give up our rights because Jesus had the right to be honored and glorified as king and instead he gave his back. Instead he gave his face to scorn. We do not have the right to retaliate and wreak vengeance. We don't have the right to possessions or our time, our money. We're the stewards of these things. This is a stewardship. Never forget that. What you possess, you don't possess. It belongs to God. You're just stewards. I'm just a steward of it. I'm just taking the best care of it I can. Even at times, our legal rights may be abandoned, but in the end, personal self-sacrifice displaces personal retaliation. Personal self-sacrifice displaces personal retaliation. Church, we have governing authorities. They're there for a reason. In our personal lives, don't seek vengeance. Seek to be Christ-like. Honor Jesus in these ways, and we're going to see him work through the church powerfully and continue to grow us into the image of himself. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you so much for your word. I do hope, God, that we have come to a place with a very difficult text, something that's very challenging for us. Lord, has been hard for people through so many ages to look at and to really understand how to apply, God, because there's such powerful truths. And, and yet, Lord, I just ask that as we go to this time of worship, we will have embraced what you've said, understand it in its context, and Lord, that as a church, we'd be able to live it out together. And I just ask, Lord, that as we go to this time of worship, as we marinate on these things, that you would um, speak to us, God, as your Holy Spirit indwells believers, Lord, that you would take these things deeper within us. I thank you, Lord, for the ability to hear you teach us, but Lord, also to understand that we're going to have to have your empowering to accomplish these things. Thank you for that realization that we desperately need you. As we take this time, I want to encourage you to keep your heads bowed, your eyes closed, just let the Lord speak, and then we're going to go to a time of worship, but let's just take this time to calmly reflect without any distraction. So, Heads bowed, eyes closed. Just listen for the Lord. Let these verses soak in your heart.